0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 11 of The Silent Suicide. I'm your host, Jacqueline Martinez, and thank you so, so much for tuning in. As you know, we start every episode with a dedication to my beautiful friend, Melanie. Melanie, I love you, I miss you, and I hope you're looking down on me, smiling and laughing. I also like to extend a prayer to those of you listening who may be considering suicide at this very moment. I want you to know that you are loved, you matter, and you deserve to live. So before we get into this week's topic, I wanted to throw out a call to action to you guys. If you could do me a huge favor and message me on the Facebook page of Rise and Shine Foundation and let me know two things. One, what has been your favorite episode so far and why? And two, What is one piece of information or tidbit that stuck out in an episode that you will never, ever forget? I want to know that I'm providing value to not just your podcast listening, but to your life as well. So if I need to adjust things or change things up a bit, I am totally open. I might be the one recording this, but this is our podcast. It's not just mine. So let's get into this week's topic. This week, I wanted to talk about attention deficit hyperactivity disorder or ADHD. Now, when I was starting my research, obviously the first bits of information that popped up were all about children because most people, when you hear ADHD, you think of hyper kids. So What I'm going to do is we're going to talk just a little bit about the children's aspect of ADHD, but then I also pulled some information about adult ADHD, which I thought was really fascinating. It's a little more prevalent than I thought, so I know I learned a lot while I was preparing for this week's episode. So first, let's start. What is it? Attention deficit hyperactivity disorder is one of the most common neurobehavioral disorders of childhood. It is sometimes referred to as attention deficit disorder. It is usually first diagnosed in childhood and often lasts into adulthood. Children with ADHD may have trouble paying attention, controlling impulsive behaviors, may act without thinking about what the result will be, or be overly active. Now, according to the CDC, there are certain signs of ADHD. Many children have trouble focusing on behaving at one time or another. Let's just all think back to when we were kids, we were not angels 100% of the time. So, you know, we had our hyper days, we had our days where we got in trouble or got mouthy, who knows, but that's just all part of growing up. However, children with ADHD do not just grow out of these behaviors. The symptoms continue on throughout their life, and it can really cause them difficulty at school or at home or with their friends. So the main symptoms include daydreaming a lot, forgetting or losing things, squirming or fidgeting, talking too much, make careless mistakes or take unnecessary risks, have a hard time resisting temptation, have trouble taking turns, and have difficulty getting along with others. Deciding if a child has ADHD is a process with several steps. There is not a single test to diagnose ADHD, and like many other problems like anxiety, depression, sleep problems, and other learning disabilities, they can actually have very similar symptoms to one another. One step of the process involves having a medical exam, hearing and vision tests to rule out other problems with symptoms like ADHD. Another part of the process may include a checklist for rating these symptoms and taking a history of the child from parents, teachers, caregivers, and sometimes they interview the child themselves. Like I said, this information is coming specifically from the CDC, so if you want to learn more about it, you can go to www.cdc.gov ADHD, or there's a 1-800 number, 1-800-232-4636. One of the things that I learned while I was preparing for this episode is that there are three different ways that ADHD presents itself in people. The first one is predominantly inattentive. It is hard for the individual to organize or finish a task, to pay attention to details, or to follow instructions or conversation. The person is easily distracted and forgets details of daily routines. Predominantly hyperactive, impulsive. The person fidgets and talks a lot. It is hard to sit still for long, for a meal, or while doing homework. Smaller children may run, jump, or climb constantly. The individual feels restless and has troubles with impulsivity. Someone who is impulsive may interrupt others a lot, grab things from people, or speak at inappropriate times. It is hard for this person to wait their turn or to listen to directions. A person with impulsiveness may have more accidents and injuries than others. And the third way that ADHD is presented is combined. Symptoms of the above two types are equally present in one person. So because symptoms can change over time, the presentation can as well. So someone could start out with predominantly inattentive And maybe a few years into the illness, it kind of morphs into the hyperactive impulsive. You can have both, so that would be the third one. So what are the causes? Why do some people get ADHD and some people don't? The causes and risk factors are actually unknown, but current research shows that genetics play a very important role. Recent studies link genetic factors with ADHD. In addition to genetics, scientists are studying other possible causes and risk factors to include brain injury, exposure to environmental risks during pregnancy or at a young age, alcohol and tobacco use during pregnancy, premature delivery, and low birth weight. Research does not support the popularity held views that ADHD is caused by eating too much sugar, watching too much TV listening to music, helicopter parents, or social and environmental factors such as poverty or family chaos. Of course, including things might make these symptoms worse, especially in certain people, but the evidence is not strong enough to conclude that they are the main causes of ADHD. So how do you manage symptoms? How do children learn to cope with having ADHD? For one, being healthy is important for all children and can be especially important for children that have ADHD. In addition to behavioral therapy and medication, having a healthy lifestyle can make it easier for your child to deal with these symptoms. Here are some healthy behaviors that may help. Developing healthy eating habits such as eating plenty of fruits, vegetables, whole grains, and choosing lean protein sources. Participating in daily physical activity, limiting the amount of daily screen time from TVs, computers, phones, and other electronics, and getting the recommended amount of sleep each night. Now, that sounds like something we can all take note of. We can all probably spend a little less time on our phones, get more sleep, and be a little bit more socially active. So now let's talk about adult ADHD. I found some worldwide statistics. So worldwide, people between the ages of 18 to 24, about four and a half percent of the world's population actually has adult ADHD. And then from the ages to 25 to 34 years old, it's 3.8%. So obviously, in an adult, ADHD is a mental health disorder that includes a combination of persistent problems such as difficulty paying attention, hyperactivity, and impulsive behavior. Adult ADHD can lead to unstable relationships, poor work or school performance, low self-esteem, and other problems. Though it's called adult ADHD, symptoms usually start in childhood and continue into adulthood. In some cases, ADHD is not recognized or diagnosed until the person is an adult. Adult ADHD symptoms may not be as clear as they are in children. In adults, hyperactivity may decrease, but struggles with impulsiveness, restlessness, and difficulty paying attention may continue. And treatment for ADHD is similar to the treatment for childhood ADHD. That includes things like medications, counseling, like a psychologist or a psychiatrist, and treatment for any other mental health conditions that occur along with ADHD. Now, the symptoms of adult ADHD are pretty similar to what they are in children, but there are a couple differences. So, according to the Mayo Clinic, adult ADHD symptoms include things like impulsiveness, disorganization and problems prioritizing, poor time management skills, problems focusing on a task, trouble multitasking, excessive activity or restlessness, poor planning, low frustration tolerance, frequent mood swings, problems following through and completing tasks, having a bad temper, and trouble coping with stress. So how do you know what's just regular behavior from having ADHD? Almost everyone in the world, including myself, sometimes struggles with these type of issues. Sometimes I am a poor planner. I have a low frustration tolerance. I have been known a time or two to have a mood swing here and there. So how do you know what the difference is? If your difficulties are recent or occurred only occasionally in the past, you probably don't have ADHD. ADHD is diagnosed only when symptoms are severe enough to cause ongoing problems in more than one area of your life. These persistent and disruptive symptoms can be traced back to early childhood. Diagnosis of ADHD in adults can be difficult because certain ADHD symptoms are similar to those caused by other conditions, such as anxiety or other mood disorders. And many adults with ADHD also have at least one other mental health condition, such as depression or anxiety. So, if any of this is resonating with you or it's sounding like someone in your life, encourage them to go see a doctor, talk to someone about it. Maybe they do have ADHD, and I know there's a lot of people out there who don't like medications, but they really can be very, very useful, especially when we're talking about disorders of the mental health nature. So again, the cause of ADHD in adults, it's not really clear, but they kind of contribute it to three main things. So the first one is genetics. ADHD can run in your family, and studies indicate that genes may also play a role. Your environment. Certain environmental factors may also increase risk, such as lead exposure as a child. And then problems during development. Problems with the central nervous system at key moments in development may play a role. So, as an adult, what are the risk factors of having ADHD? One, you have blood relatives, such as a parent or sibling with ADHD or another mental health disorder. Your mother smoked, drank alcohol, or used drugs during her pregnancy. As a child, you were exposed to environmental toxins, such as lead, mainly found in paint and pipes in older buildings, and you were born prematurely. Now, as with any other mental health disorder, there are certain lifestyle choices and different complications that can make it worse. ADHD on its own, it can make life pretty difficult for the person suffering with it, but it's also been linked to poor school or work performance, unemployment, financial problems, trouble with the law, alcohol or other substance misuse, frequent car accidents or other accidents, unstable relationships, poor physical and mental health, poor self-image, and suicide attempts. Although ADHD doesn't cause other psychological or developmental problems, other disorders often occur along with ADHD and make treatment more challenging. Those include mood disorders. Many adults with ADHD also have depression, bipolar, or another mood disorder. While mood problems aren't necessarily due directly to ADHD, A repeated pattern of failures and frustrations due to ADHD can worsen depression. Anxiety disorders. Anxiety disorders occur fairly often in adults with ADHD. Anxiety disorders may cause overwhelming worry, nervousness, and other symptoms. Anxiety can be made worse by the challenges and setbacks caused by ADHD. Other psychiatric disorders. Adults with ADHD are at an increased risk of other psychiatric disorders, such as personality disorders, intermittent explosive disorder, and substance abuse disorders. And the last one are learning disabilities. Adults with ADHD may score lower on academic testing than would be expected for their age, intelligence, and education. Learning disabilities can include problems with understanding and communicating. So let's talk about some numbers when it comes to ADHD. Now, this is part of what I found fascinating because again, you hear ADHD, I think people kind of throw that term around loosely when either hasn't been diagnosed or good understanding of the disorder. So here are 10 statistics that I found personally fascinating. ADHD occurs more in men at 12.9% Than women, which is only at 4.9%. Now, for those of you that have been listening to my previous episodes, the trend has been that women have been more susceptible to these mental health disorders, but this is the first one where I have found that males actually have it more than women do. Parents of a child with ADHD bear five times more costs than those without them, Children are most usually diagnosed with ADHD between the ages of 6 and 11, which is about 9.6%. Over 40% of children with ADHD also have a parent with the same disorder. About 35% of teens with ADHD drop out of high school. As many as 27% of teens who have a substance abuse disorder also have ADHD. Around 51% of teenage girls with ADHD have self-injured. Severe ADHD cases might reduce your life expectancy by up to 25 years. That's a quarter of our life. Astoundingly, 41.3% of adult ADHD cases are considered severe. And here's the most important one. One in four women with ADHD has attempted suicide. So I wanted to put in someone's personal story that I found online and it's ADHD personal stories, real life success stories and role models. A woman by the name of Susan Baroncini Mo, she is the executive coach and author of Business in Blue Jeans. When Susan was diagnosed with ADHD in her late 30s, She finally understood why she had a hard time completing projects, forgot things frequently, and talked so much. On the other hand, the diagnosis made her question who she was. Did her diagnosis define her personality? I realized it didn't really matter whether ADHD was responsible for my quirkiness, she says. I am who I am. I have ADHD, and that's just how it is. She didn't feel like she was broken, so she developed strategies not to fix herself, but to become a better version of herself. As an executive coach, she understood firsthand how working with a coach could help, so she hired one. It helped to have someone ask her what she had accomplished and to hold her accountable to her goals. Having a coach who has ADHD and gets it is her most valuable tool. Creating systems and staying organized also worked for her. When you have ADHD, it helps to look at how you function and when you do specific tasks most effectively and schedule your day accordingly. Some of the other tools she uses are exercise and meditation. She works at a treadmill desk. Her favorite type of meditation starts with guided meditation and moves to silence, except for reminders to refocus her attention. Despite finding strategies that have helped her overcome some of the challenges of living with ADHD, she is ready to try something new. I consider myself a work in progress, she says. I'm also looking for new strategies, new ways of improving myself, and optimizing my life. So I found one more personal story from someone that I wanted to read that also suffers from ADHD. Her name is Jessica McCabe. Jessica McCabe's acting career began in 2003 when she landed the role of Nicole in Scorched, an independent film. Since then, she has been in several TV shows and short movies, including Lur. But she is probably best known for her YouTube channel, How to ADHD. She launched the channel In which she shares winning strategies about living with the disorder in January of 2016. McCabe was diagnosed with ADHD when she was 12 and started taking medications soon after her diagnosis. As an adult, Jessica decided she no longer needed medication and stopped for about a year and a half. That was a bad idea, she said. Changing to a different medication helped, but she still struggled with her symptoms. As I hit my early 30s, still waiting tables and struggling with my acting career, and after many failed relationships, I decided meds were not enough. She researched ADHD treatments and found that meds were not the answer to all of her problems. ADHD doesn't just affect your focus, but many other parts of your life. During the course of her research, she read lots of blogs and watched videos about parenting a child with the disorder but very few addressed living with ADHD as an adult. McCabe filled that void by starting her YouTube channel. She researched tools and tips that might help her and shared what she learned with her audience, creating an ADHD toolbox. McCabe is still taking medication for ADHD to this day. What also helps her is daily meditation and using fidget toys. She has found that helping others live better with ADHD helps her life be better. So before I ended this episode, I wanted to talk about the correlation between suicide and ADHD. Now, the previous episodes that I've done, those are the big mental health disorders that you think about when you talk about suicide or suicidal ideations. It's the bipolar, the schizophrenia, the depression, things like that. But a lot of people don't realize that there's an increased risk of suicide for people that have been diagnosed with ADHD. Even though individuals with borderline personality disorder, anorexia, and bipolar have the highest rates of suicide, you should not count out a diagnosis of ADHD, especially when there are other diagnoses involved. The relationship between ADHD and suicide is of concern throughout the lifespan. Adults with ADHD have a higher risk compared to other adults, according to a National Survey of Suicide in the United States. These risks increase if an individual has a comorbid diagnosis of depression. While there is less research on children and adolescents with ADHD, The research indicates that early adolescents, which are between the ages of 11 and 14 years old, are at a greater risk than those in their late adolescence, and males with ADHD are at a greater risk of death by suicide. It is also crucial to note that children with ADHD are at a higher risk of developing psychiatric disorders, such as substance abuse disorders, depressive disorders, and antisocial behavior. When they coexist with ADHD, these disorders are risk factors for suicide. Likewise, impulsivity and aggression are traits seen in individuals with ADHD that are also common among those who are considering suicide. This may suggest that if someone is presenting with such traits and is diagnosed with ADHD, it is necessary to assess them for suicide. So I hope this episode kind of was an eye-opener for some of my listeners. I hope that now there's a little bit better understanding of not just what ADHD is, but the correlation between the disorder and suicide. Leave me a comment on any of my social media pages on what topic you want me to talk about in a future episode. And as always, I end every episode with my saying... Being different makes you special. Have a great week.